This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, we're drinking with authors, literary dreams. Okay. I'm Erica Lance. I'm your host. With me is Vanessa Maliente. And our guest is Jody Lynn Nye. We do rapid fire questions, but you you were talking about just now history in New Orleans and stuff. And what's interesting, you said before um, a, about a situation that happened there. And I, real life is, to me, as a horror writer, more terrifying than fiction. I have a good friend named Mark Muncy. And what he does is he finds local legends. He's done it uh, in Florida for three books and then just did it up in the Adirondacks for another book that's coming out this year where he takes the local legend and then goes through and finds out where the local legend came mm-hmm. from. Yeah, I know, Mark. <laughs> sometimes it's cute and then sometimes it's purely terrifying where the local legends actually came from. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. So we're going to do a rapid fire question. What is your favorite book of all time? Uh, <laughs> off the top of my head, Gaudy Night by Dorothy L. Sayers. Okay. Why? Because it, it culminates quite a lot of things that were going on in the rest of her series, and it takes place in Oxford, which I have always loved. And I love the characters of Peter Whimsey and, and Harriet Vane. And she is a novelist. So it's, uh, we're, I'm reading about one of my own. <laughs> but her writing is so beautiful. She died the year I was born, so I never got a chance to meet her. What a, what a terrible pity that is. And I, I like her work so much. There are many other books that I like, but because that one came out first, I'll, 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 I'll cotton to that. Totally. What about, what is your least favorite book? I Will Fear No Evil by Robert Heinlein. It's the only uh, book that I have torn up and, and thrown away rather than given away. Oh my goodness. I was so mad. <laughs> Why were you so mad? Because of the representation of uh, the main character is is a horrible, terrible, miserly man whose whose brain is transplanted into the body of his secretary. Oh, I already know where you're heading with this. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 just downright terrible. Um, you know, I love Heinlein. I really do. The Door into Summer is one of my favorite books. He's written so many other things that are just mind-blowingly wonderful. And that one just, I just couldn't, I, I, I don't know how it ends because I couldn't finish it. I threw it across the room and then I took, picked it up and I ripped it up. I love that. I love the idea of, no, that's not enough. It's not enough that I chucked it. I need to shred it. Is yeah. there fire? Does somebody have fire right now? I actually need to up it at another level. Gasoline, bring me gasoline. Yes. Do you um, stop reading then? I'm, I'm guessing yes. I know some people who can't stop. They'll just finish it anyway. But do you just stop and are like, you know what, I'm done. I'm done. You know what? I used to, I used to read all the way through. I did. I read all the way through, even to the end of terrible books. Part of me was hoping that I would, I, that it would get better. And part of it was, I don't quit. And then I realized I was giving good time away to something that wasn't worth my while. It wasn't worth finishing. And I do not have to do that to myself anymore. I, I think that's exactly why I don't finish them. Like if I start and I also am one of those people. I love that online you can get samples 
at the beginning of the book now. Mm -hmm. If you don't grab me in the first few pages of that book, I am not moving forward. I don't have the time. I have way many more things to do than, you know. Me, um, I use the Libby app, which is, um, you know, you are able to check out audiobooks and eBooks from your local library without actually ever having to enter the library. And it's- I use Overdrive for the same thing, yeah. Yeah, Hoopla is another one. They're amazing apps. And I find that is a great way to like, if you don't want to spend the money and you want to see how this book goes, you mm -hmm. kind of like, we'll read it, listen to it. And then only then will I go buy it is if I'm obsessed with it, then I'm like, okay, you need to grace my shelves. It has to happen. So, uh, but I feel like the way things are set up now, it makes it easier to be like, you know what? I don't have time for this. Cause this is, I'm not driving with this particular story. Sure. Do you um, listen to a lot of audiobooks? Not many. I get, I, I read faster than they do. Uh, so usually I get impatient with it unless it is so beautifully presented that I can't resist it. Mm. Do you have books that you reread a lot? I have, I have several that I consider to be old friends and I go back to them, especially when I'm feeling blue or if I want to uh, recapture a certain feeling. I have several that, that I go back to for that. Uh, it, it is like having old friends around and say, oh yes, I, I love the way that made me feel. Oh, that was an incredibly clever piece of dialogue that I never stopped taking joy in, or that was a fabulous description, or I can't wait for this epic battle. Mm. Totally. Do you Have you had a book make you actually laugh out loud while reading it? Because people talk about that. Mm -hmm. what, what, what is the first book you remember creating that sensation? Oh, the first book? No, uh, but I can give you one off the top of my head. It's called Nightlife, Nightlife by Peter David. Not the, not the revised edition, but the first edition of it, uh, which was, oh my gosh, uh, middle 1980s. 85, 86, about then. It is about what happened if King Arthur suddenly turned up, woke up in Belvedere Castle in the middle of Central Park. Oh wow, that's got to be funny. And runs for New York, runs for mayor of New York. Oh wow, <laughs> it's it's charming. But what made me laugh was one line in it in particular. Arthur goes to the lagoon to get. Uh, he he is given Excalibur. The Lady of the Lake rises up, and I, I won't I won't go into detail because you really should get that for yourself. But a couple of of uh, junkies have been watching him. And oh, that's stagger, they stagger over and fall to their knees in front of him and he waits and they say we swear eternal allegiance to the guy with the day glow sword and the submersible girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> i was reading this about four o'clock in the morning because i get insomnia and i laughed so hard i woke my husband up <laughs> that is epic the first book i remember laughing out loud to was actually Sharon McCrum, and she wrote a book called Bimbos of the Death Sun. Yep. And uh, it is, to me, being, we've talked to old school nerd a lot. She nailed the conventions, the people at the conventions, and the, ah, uh, that that's one of my old friends that I will go back to. I've given so many copies of that book away because that it was one of the most brilliantly funny books 
And I realized for me, unless you're a little bit in the community, it probably wouldn't have nearly the impact that it did when I was reading it. Cause I was like, these are my people. This would actually happen. Yep. I, yeah. I agree with you. That and Zombies of the Gene Pool, her other book. Yes. Yep. I, I, I thought that was really well done. And I laughed at that too. There, there are many I've laughed at, but the, the first one that came to mind, of course, was Nightlife. What is your favorite thing about doing panels? Like when you get up on panels, what is your favorite topics to talk about? I'll talk about anything. Uh, I have done conventions for so long that if you throw even an unfamiliar topic at me, I will do my best. I'll, I'll wing it. And if nothing else, I will listen to the way other people are, are answering it and I'll ask questions. So, well, you, and you talked earlier about a little bit of, you were gonna originally go into film mm -hmm. and you, because of being an introvert, yet you're on all these panels and doing these things. Was there a point that it changed that you felt Oh, no, 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 no. I am an introvert, but I have never had stage fright in my life. I can walk up on a stage and sing, but as for going up to a stranger and introducing myself, can't do it. It's very, very hard. I have gotten practice in it over these many, many years of conventions. But the separation, the separation of the table between me and them or the, the, the footlights between me and them is means a, an incredible amount. I know a lot of people who are very outgoing and yet they can't get up on stage. They get terrified. It, no, it's true. And I, I, I used to do a lot of theater and stuff like that. And I watched that happen where they they're outgoing or the shyest person gets up and has no problem being whomever up on stage in the foreigner. And you're mm -hmm. like, where did you come from? Cause you weren't <laughs> talking to anybody in rehearsal. What the hell? Like, I think that's amazing. Do you get, um, fan I call it fangirl moments but like getting to meet like you and it's just for me I love that I I get excited about meeting people that I really admire and stuff like that but I often wonder does the scale ever tip when you you're around all of these fantastic people you've been around so many do you still have that when you meet somebody that you oh, have absolutely absolutely and I have watched it in, in many ways and people you wouldn't expect. For example, I got to meet Janice Ian, whose music oh. I've been listening to for, for eternity. She was a tremendous fan of Anne McCaffrey's and I was, I was a fan of hers and of Anne's. So that was a, an epic evening. And I ended up, she's, she's a tiny little lady, in, immensely talented in that, in that voice. Uh, the two of us were sitting in the, the way back of, of a van because there weren't any more seats and we were small enough to, to sort of sit cross-legged in the back. <laughs> that sounds like so much fun. It was, but I, I was thinking, this is not happening to me. <laughs> this, this is an amazing moment. But Do you have moment. that with other authors that you get to meet? Because you're meeting all these amazing people being a part of the community you are. Oh yeah, I, I feel I, enormously privileged to to hang out with Larry Niven, for example, who is is amazingly nice. Uh, we, Andre Norton, uh, she she brought me back into science fiction. Uh, it was it was uh, it's it's a long story, and since you want rapid fire questions, it's it's not appropriate here. But I got to push her around the dealers room at Worldcon in uh, in Orlando, Florida, 
because she had agoraphobia. And as, as if she said, if you talk to me, I'll, I'll be able to keep my mind off all the people around us. Oh, wow. So it's really not awesome of you to do though. Oh, absolutely. But it was a, it was a privilege. And we were in touch uh, to the end of her life. She was 93 when she passed away. So I, I feel privileged to have, very privileged to have uh, met her and gotten to know her. Do you buy books at conventions from authors who set up tables that maybe are not on the New York Times bestseller list? Do yes, you... I do. Yes, I do. I was uh, at Torcon. I think it was Torcon. No, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm going to cop to not remembering the name of the convention. I apologize, guys. I had a wonderful time. And I went around the room and picked up books from Canadian writers that I had never seen before. Because I said, oh, that looks interesting. I'd chat with them. I'd say, okay, so what's this about? Oh, yes, I must have that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I do try out people's books. I, I well, want to know what's out there. By those people that you're buying from. What about them? How often are you recognized by them? How often do they have that moment where they realize, Dirty is buying my book right now? Oh, time and again. Time and again, there are people who have no idea who I am, and, and I don't assume that they do. No, I think that's great. I find that writers, regardless of the stature of the writer, again, for the most part, are some of the sweetest, most wonderful people, because even if they are a tremendously big deal, the ego is not in place the way it is a lot of times with other industries. And I'm not saying everybody, but I've just noticed that the writer community tends to remain more humble, I guess is the word, and recognizing the fans and how important the fans are to their experience. Mm -hmm. Well, I think if you are mean to your fans, you don't deserve to have any. Ugh. Truth. I, I think also we all know it's hard, you know, writing, getting published, whether you go self-publishing or traditional, and I feel like the ones who end up making it first, for the most part, are so generous with their time to help everyone behind them. Because the wonderful thing about books is there doesn't need to be one favorite. A reader can have a thousand favorites. There's, there's plenty of room for love for all these stories. And it's always nice to see, especially big names, go back and pay it forward to someone behind them because it is difficult. And sometimes you need someone to kind of crack open the doorway a little bit just to help them get through, you know? Oh yeah. Yes. And there are, are people who have uh, give back in other ways. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they provide scholarships or they, they provide uh, uh, a boost in, in some fashion of, of trying to teach young writers, even if they're not good at teaching writing, that explaining to them about how marketing works and explaining to them no, it, it's not just you, this happens to us too. Yes, 135 books later, still happening to this author or that author. There are things that we fall prey to that you wouldn't think are, would still be happening, but they do. And we can, we can try and reassure them that yes, you with your one book or you with your three books, you're suffering from these things, but it doesn't stop. Yeah. So I think information or just just opening your arms to someone who is new to the industry makes a big difference to them. Mm -hmm. Here's I, Anthony always talked about the adult conspiracy that you, um, that the adults are not going to let kids know about things. But if you, if you stop with the adult conspiracy and say, you say, okay, this is what it is. Please come in, please come into the fold. 
we welcome you. That makes a big difference to how they're going to feel about the industry and feel encouraged to go forward. Mm -hmm. Yes, because in, in a way it's a solitary craft, but I think that now more than ever, there's a community and you have to remind people that there is a community out there. There are people to talk to mm -hmm. there. You know, it's, it's way bigger. Like growing up, you, I, I make this joke that it's like you went in the cabin in the woods with a typewriter and maybe somebody brought you food every now and then, and you wrote the next great novel and all that stuff. And I'm like, and it's kind of like writer's block. Like people say, you know, I grew up thinking writer's block was this thing that you just stare at the, the, computer and not be able to type a word and i'm like that's not writer's block writer's block to me is life happening and then i like you know what i'm just gonna binge watch netflix because i feel like doing that meat and ice cream for a while because that's all i want to do that's writer's block to me is that i just like like man life happened no the other one is is also writer's block it's when your subconscious is saying there's something wrong with this and you have to go back and figure out what it is but in the meantime go away for, from it for a while, really, because your brain is working it out. And your brain, your, your subconscious is smarter than your conscious mind. <laughs> I, actually, I actually use when, if, when, I guess when you feel quote unquote writer's block, I'll sit there and be like, you know what? I may not be able to come up with the words, but I'll go and review. Because I'm one of those people that I'm not an outliner, but as I write, I create like a very extensive world Bible because I write epic fantasy. Uh, you know, I'm like George R. R. Martin. I have hundreds of characters that I want to know what they look like, names. I, I have I have to know what what I have written. Mm -hmm. And usually I find that if I feel quote unquote writer's block is because there was something I did not flesh out and I review and organize my notes and saw, and then I'll come across something. I'm like, wait a minute, I need to expand this out a little bit more. And then that sparks inspiration to go back and write more. Yep. Do you, do you outline, do you plot, do you get world building books? Like where, cause well, she's you know, been there are, there are, there are plotters and there are pantsers. I'm a plotser. A plot. Mm -hmm. So I, I write down every single thing I can think of about the book that I want to write or the short story I want to write and character uh, development, uh, bits of dialogue, description of, of ideas. Uh, and before I have gotten six pages, I'm already writing. So it, it becomes this, this amalgamated mass that I put back in, I put in order. I flesh it out. I find where my beginning is and I use it as a kind of an outline, but it's, it, it looks like such a catastrophe, but for me, it's a process. I write until I have no more creative in my mind, uh, no more ideas to put down. And that kernel uh, forms the basis for my next book because it's all of my, my spark of inspiration. And, you'll, and you have to write it all down when you get it because you'll never get it back. So you, I, I go from there. Do you keep, oh, so when you're writing series, do you keep, do you go back and read the previous book or where, how do yep. you move forward? I not only have a, a story Bible, like, like uh, Vanessa was saying, with all of my details of what people are, uh, who, how they're related to, to each other, uh, what they look like, the things they, they enjoy, the people they've met and when, because <laughs> that's important too. 
but I, uh, I work with both of them. I do reread my books because you're going to make a fundamental error if you don't. You're going to forget that uh, they already met this person that you're introducing them to, to for the first time. That happened, unfortunately, with, with a book that I did write um, as a follow-up to someone else's book who um, couldn't write the next one. You want to make as few mistakes as possible. Someone will call you on it. The fans are very, very, remember how smart science fiction and fantasy fans are. They yeah, no, I, I was going to say you write sci-fi and that I don't envy because sci-fi fans to me can be some of the most uh, particular in a way on points in the book. Mm -hmm. I had a, a fellow writer who was a physics professor say, because I don't have a background in science. Everything that I know about science, I'm an autodidact. I taught myself. I read things. He said, you have an instinctive understanding of physics. And I, I thought, wow. I never thought about it that way, but he obviously felt that I did. And I was, I was very flattered, but it meant that I could absorb concepts that I did not have a formal education for. Mm -hmm. So these, these things, I always make notes of, go, go, go back and research the following topics. Um, find out what they ate, find out how they dressed, find out what, uh, if it's a historical period, what the climate was like what interaction they had with other countries or other tribes or other people. And all of this is along the way while you're, while you're putting in the initial, uh, once the inspiration is over, I wrote some, I have it someplace, I'll, I'll have to figure out where it is, 13 steps to writing a novel and the first is inspiration. And at least two of the following ones are more research, research and more research. Mm -hmm. Oh. But, Oh. You have to do it. <laughs> research is the most, I think, is the best place to go. Like, even, like, it doesn't even have to be for fantasy and sci-fi, even contemporary. If you just do some, re like, real-world history, it sparks ideas to expand your scene that uh, mm -hmm. you never thought possible. And you should always not make it such a, feel like, make it, like, a, a daunting uh, experience. It should be exciting because... Who doesn't want to dive deep into their scenes and make it feel so realistic? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and something will stir your imagination like that. Yeah. And also, you'll throw your reader violently out of your story if you say something, even about modern times, and that's not an accurate statement. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, in Tampa Bay, there is not a lot of public transit. That's not a thing there is in other large cities. So if you're talking about getting on the train and going blah, 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 everybody who's from this area will go, what the hell are they talking about? And then you've thrown your reader out of your story. It's like the worst part about storytelling is if something you do pushes that reader out and mm -hmm. they're, they're not immersed anymore in what you're saying. Right. If it's moving fast enough, like, like in a movie, you may overlook it, but somebody who knows it really well is going to pick up on it. Uh, Chicagoans love the Blues Brothers, not just for the fact that it's a wonderful movie with good music, great characterization and, and real humor, but they play Mary Hell with the geography and the, the road that they're driving on suddenly opens out on a bridge, which is uh, in another state, by the way, or they, they start out on the south side and then two turns later, they're on the west side. And we think it's really funny, but it's really fast. If it were in a book, we would say, wait a minute, that doesn't connect. That's nowhere near that. <laughs> and out of the story you go. 
Do you um, have fans come and tell you some part of the book? Do you, I don't know what your memory, you have a very good memory just from what you've been talking. Do you have fans come up and talk to you about a part of the book and you're like, I don't remember that. There are times when, you know, my first book came out in, in goodness, uh, 1987. So yeah, there, there are going to be things that I'd have to sort of revise or, or take a look at again. Every so often when a book is going to be put into e-format or it's being republished by another house, I have to go over the galleys again and say, oh yeah, I wrote this. Oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, I remember what I was doing with that character. Oh, I wish I could have done more with this. The, the times that I like are when, when somebody comes up to me and they have a question, which means they've really thought about what I put down there. I had a husband and wife come up to me and ask me a question about uh, a question in one of my Taylor's ARC books. It's, well, why did you have the character do this uh, instead of doing that? And I explained my logic and the woman turned to her husband and put her finger in his face and said, see, I told you so. <laughs> And I just loved that. <laughs> that tickled me a lot because it meant that they'd been thinking about it. Um, do you get a lot of fan mail from your fans talking about your work? No, I don't. I don't. I don't know that a lot of authors do, but I think it's interesting when somebody does. I actually was lucky enough to have a fangirl moment where she came up and she was talking to me about a scene in one of my books and she was so excited about it. And I didn't know what she was talking about. Like I vaguely remembered it, but it was not like it was this sub scene of a sub scene. And I was like, yay. And I was totally like, yeah, no, that's fantastic. You know, I was super nice to her. I wasn't going to go, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, because luckily she didn't ask me any specifics. So I didn't have to. And then I literally that night I got home and I pulled open the book and I'm like, oh, because it's some part, it was a driver for something else. And it was like in between two important scenes and it was just a little thing to kind of get it to go. And she, that little thing meant the world to her. So I always think it's interesting. I, I had someone come up to me at uh, a, an ALA, American Library and Association conference. And she was so thrilled because when she was young, she read my Taylor's art books, which are about a lady doctor in space. And she said, it was the first time that I'd seen some a, a woman in a story who wasn't the woman who needed to be rescued or dumb or subservient to men in any way. And, and she she's not. And I consider uh, Shona and her husband Gershom to be the only happily married couple in space. So. <laughs> but she said, you gave me agency. And I said, wow, uh, that was an enormous, enormous compliment. And I had written those books a long time ago, but to her, it had stuck with her all these years. And it was tremendously meaningful to me because it meant something to her and it helped her through a situation. It helped her, it helped her learn, it helped her think about who she was and take, take possession of her own awesomeness. So I, I felt really flattered. I think that's amazing. And I, I think uh, authors, can have more impact on people's lives than they realize. Cause not everybody talks, not everybody kind of like reviews, not everybody says what they're thinking, but I think it's 
amazing when you do something like that and it does have an impact, which I have no doubt you've had on so many writers from the beginning to the end, just even with your career and the fact that you do these things like judging competitions and doing mm -hmm. workshops and stuff like that to go, I'm, I'm going to do this kind of what Vanessa said was earlier, earlier, I'm going to help. I'm going to hold the door open so you guys can get through this door if you want to come through it with me so mm -hmm. you can see what it's like on this side. And I think that's thoroughly amazing. Oh, thank you. So I thank you very much for that. Okay, we have to wrap up this episode, but I want to know if what little, little, t you have so much advice to give young authors, and I would love you to dig up the 13 things that you tell. I think that would be brilliant. Please do that because knowledge is power, man. Yeah. What do you, what would you tell authors that are listening to this show right now going, what is, what is that nugget of wisdom you want to give them? Always say yes to opportunity. Mm. Even if it doesn't sound like something you want to do right now, if it, it, maybe it's a horror story and you're not, and you've never written horror before, but it's an opportunity to submit to an anthology. Say yes. Uh, I have recently done a couple of, of stories for graphic novels that I never thought uh, uh, an anthology of, of graphic novels, graphic short stories. I never tried writing a comic script before, but this lovely man called Jack Holder uh, held my hand and I'm in these two projects now and it was awesome. The other thing is don't wait for somebody to give you permission. I give you permission. Go Yay. out and write the great thing. So, awesome. Yeah. What is and your next thing that's coming out? What, what is the next thing fans can find you in? Oh, uh, I'm in a lot of short story anthologies right now. Uh, the, the Founders Effect is coming out. Uh, Thrilling Adventure Yarns, edited by Bob Greenberger, is coming soon. I, it, the Kickstarter is going on right now. And that is where the, the steampunk, humorous, West, uh, Old West science fiction story is. And I had, I had huge fun with that. And probably like the first one as well, which is in a, a book called uh, Straight Out of Tombstone, edited by David Boop. Um, I do a lot of short stories. So right, right now I'm going a little fuzzy on, on what else. And so have, have fun with it. There's, there's lots of good things out there. And they'll be all available when your website, is your website down right now and we'll it's be back down, up? I think it's down right now. It will be back, uh, but I will post notices of things coming out on Facebook. So find me, follow me, uh, friend me. Awesome. Have fun. <laughs> absolutely thank you so much for being on our show this has been so amazing oh, you're you. so amazing thank you so much oh you're so very kind i really enjoyed myself meeting you too oh absolutely this has been i'm a little nerding right now you can't see it but i'm a little nerding on this side super because i'm okay it's fine i'm fine i'm back to being the professional host that i'm I'm not a professional host, I don't know why I said that. Anyway, it has been thoroughly amazing meeting you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Thank you both. Absolutely. So this has been Drinking with Authors Literary Briefs. I'm Erica Lance. I'm Vanessa Valiente. And we'll see you next time. Bye.